0: Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. And God said, let there be light. 30 days later, he received the bill and then shouted, turn that darn thing off, guys, when you leave the room. (laughs) So let there be light is the first action we learn about in the Hebrew scriptures that both the Jewish and the Christian um, followers acknowledge. It's in the very first few verses to understand what it takes to create. Last week, we um, talked about Martin Luther King and we, I had this quote up, you know, that darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. And obviously, with Let There Be Light, we're going to talk about light today and how it relates to darkness and how that relates to our lives. Um, Much sooner or earlier, Francis of Assisi recognized, again, like many religions do, when there is darkness, then we need light. It's a very common concept. But let's begin at that very first action. Here is the text, and we're not going to read all of it. We're just going to focus on that command that God said, let there be light, and then there was light. It's powerful, right? To say, let something happen, and then it actually happens. And we often attribute that power to God, we often separate ourselves from that power by believing only God can do that. And forget to acknowledge that we have a lot more power than we often think we do. In fact, we are actually creating all day long. We, we cannot stop the creative process, which is what we in unity believe that first chapter is all about. It's about the creative process. is how we create in life how we use our thinking and feeling and acting nature and how we change things in our lives by thinking differently and feeling differently and act differently. It's all right in there. But it all starts with let there be light. And the second part that's important, God separated the light from the darkness. So there was darkness before. And often darkness then is traditionally interpreted as something bad. And today, I want to explore this a little bit more. Darkness can be seen as chaos, as an uproaring, a storm in our lives, as ignorance even, as something that is not desirable. And so then we want to bring light in. It's very common of us to think when we're in a bad mood, we're in a dark place. We even have that in a common language, right? When you ask someone, how are you doing? Well, I'm in a dark place. We often affirm for each other that we need to learn to see the light in each other so we can bring light to the darkness. So it's a very common accepted way of communicating our spirituality. I am the light in this world, and I bring light into darkness. I see light at the end of the tunnel, right? We have all these ideas that light is good and darkness is bad. But God is more than light. And that's a common understanding across many religions. It's an inter-religious truth. God is more than just that light. For example, when you look at the six days of creation, remember there's six days where God worked really hard to create the world, and the seventh days he kind of like took a, took a break, right? you can actually see that the light that's connected to the moon and the sun only shows up on day four. So the light that God speaks into existence must be a different kind of light rather than the light that we often connect with, with the moon, with the sun, or with other sources of light. It's a different light. For example, in in Bhagavad Gita, we can can learn that he is the source. He, referring to Brahman, which is uh, the ultimate reality similar to God, Brahman, he is the source of light in all luminaries and is entirely beyond the darkness of ignorance. And the rest of the verse goes into the same idea that it's not about light at all. It's even beyond light. It's a different kind of light we usually would look at. Also from Hinduism, and some, some Buddhists would, would uh, uh, use the Upanishads as well. Kato Upanishads talk about the same idea, the last sentence saying, all this shines by his light, saying that, The sun does not shine there, nor do the moon and the stars, nor do these lightings shine, and so on. Same idea. You can actually see similarities in the text between the Christian and Jewish scriptures and the Hindu and the Buddhist scriptures, where there is an understanding, even though it may be a little bit difficult to read those translations, that there is something that goes beyond light and therefore, also goes beyond darkness. Even in the Quran, there is a verse that's called the verse of light. And it says in the very beginning, Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth, suggesting, again, that the light that Allah creates is beyond heaven and earth. Now remember, heaven and earth, according to the unity beliefs, they're not places we go to, once we move on from our physical existence. There are places that we experience right here and right now. We call it states of consciousness. We're we're experiencing heaven and hell right now. Depending on, on how you feel and how you relate right now, you may experience heaven or you may experience hell. And the idea is that it's your choice to either stay in heaven or to move yourself out of hell. It's all up to us. We have that power to do so. So there is the spiritual light, which is what I will call that God light that God brings into existence and doesn't want to pay the bill for it. And and then there's the human light, which connects to the two creation stories we commonly acknowledge, again, in Christian thought and in Jewish thought. Chapter 1, roughly, a little bit more than that, one creation story. And then chapter 2, another creation story. In unity, you might have heard these terms idea and expression, and they're synonymous to spiritual and human. The spiritual is the idea, what we come up in our mind and heart what we can create in our imagination. And then the expression is the human, the physical, when it comes into manifestation. And there's a relationship there. So we have two creation stories. The first one is the one that starts with Let There Be Light. The second one is the one about Adam and Eve. And what's really interesting to understand is how these creation stories came about. Even though that the first creation story is at the very beginning of the Bible, and in the Torah, of the Jewish Torah, it's actually not the first story that was written. It was written about 500 years before Common Era. And it was written by, and again some scholars would argue some differences, it was written by the priestly, writers, the P writers. There's like groups of writers. There's not individual authors necessarily. There's groups of writers. And the priestly writers, they were reviewing a lot of the earlier writings, which you can see now. The second creation story, Adam and Eve, was much earlier, 400 years earlier. And not a lot of people know that. The first creation story, in terms of when it was written, is actually the story about Adam and Eve, about he, we, how we as human beings came into existence. That human part, that expression part, the one that we cl- more closely relate to, that's the first question that people, those Yahwist writers, Yahwist as in Yahweh, Jehovah, a name of God, right? asking themselves, why, did we, why do we exist? How did we come into existence? And then they came up with the story of Adam and Eve. And 400 years later, the priestly writers came along. They they kind of did some revisions on that second story, and then they said, okay, now we know how we came into existence through Adam and Eve and whatever happens later. But how did the world come into existence? And then they sat down and wrote about that. Now, you see also, priestly there's another name there, Elohist. Those are also writers. Often, the Elohist and the Yahwist are combined. And those two terms are important because it relates to, again, how these creation stories relate to our way of being and creating in the world. So Elohist, the Elohist writers, they wrote about God, as Elohim. In the Jewish tradition, there's about 50 or so different names for God. Two of them are very important. Yahweh is the one that most of us have heard before. Yahweh or Jehovah, right, which is on the right. So the Yahweh's writers, they were writing about God as Yahweh, which is the God that's really actionable, the God that's in your face that is punishing and blessing and, you know, it's all over the place. It's the God that's involved in human, in humanity. But the Elohist, they wanted to realize God as Elohim, which is all about God in the spiritual, not yet manifested. And that's how these stories are quite different. One has to do with everyday living. Humanity, and the other one has to do with inspiration and how we can change and create. So here is what Charles Fillmore says in The Revealing Word, our co-founder here in Unity. Elohim, the idea in mind, the universal principle of being, and then Yahweh, the expression in creation, the original Hebrew form of Jehovah, and so on. So you have those differences. Elohim is the power of mind and heart, that's God giving us that power or us using that power to create first in mind and heart, and then Jehovah, Yahweh, is the one that puts it in action. Now, there's an interesting connection to Jehovah, and you have to go into the actual Hebrew form of the name Jesus. Jesus is a Greek name, or Jesus, but comes from Hebrew, and it stems from Jeshua or Joshua, which means who helped Jehovah. So this, this is now just as you would look it up in a dictionary about the ancient meanings of words. This is coming from there. Jehovah is the expression, and Jesus... And Joshua and Jeshua are all names who bring that God expression into existence. The gospel writers who wrote in the Christian scriptures knew this. Not many people know this nowadays. So guess what? They chose that name because they wanted to tell us something. They wanted to tell us that what's special about Jesus is his ability to bring God into existence, into human form to use that powerful energy, that creative energy, and bring it alive. So we could say that Jesus represents God's idea of humankind in expression in this world. Jesus is a representation of God's idea, how we are all supposed to be. And this is all coming in these first five verses. Let there be light. It's all packed into that and then followed up with the rest of Genesis 1 and 2. But there is a third creation story. Who knows where that one is located? Anyone? There's actually three. Two are in the Hebrew Scriptures, and i give you a hint. The third one is in one of the Gospels. Any ideas? John, very good, very good, nicely done, correct. John, again, the first five verses in the Gospel of John talks about, you know, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and so on. But the very last part talks about how God and Jesus have that connection. Again, Jesus, Jeshua, Joshua, Jehovah, all connecting. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. You see here, John, who is very symbolic in his entire writing style, taking the same idea of let there be light and bring it into our humanity. What he is saying here is not only Jesus, but we all can bring life and light to all the people. This is not reserved to some God separate from us that may have created the universe. This is something that we all share, that ability. And it's important for us to remember that. And it's important for us to remember that in this moment, at this very beginning of this year, because it can really give a tone for us to move into this year, to remember that we were always supposed to be the light, that we already are the light, and that we are supposed to share that light with each other. Later in John chapter 8, Jesus says and acknowledges the power that he represents. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus didn't mean to say you have to kind of like bow down to me and you know give me a lot of cash or anything like that. He was not about that. But what this means is to follow Jesus means to follow the Christ essence within us, to follow that felt way of being. And it really doesn't matter how old we are, isn't it? Doesn't it? It doesn't matter how old we are, there's always a piece that we all know we just wished we could bring into this world. Something that we have desired maybe for many years to be or to do or to change. We don't have to follow Jesus to do that. We don't have to follow a denomination to do that, or a religion. We don't have to follow anyone, no guru, no spiritual teacher, we have to follow. All we have to do is to follow our own intuition, our own heart, to let there be light within all of us. Again, going back to the verse of light in the Quran, here is another hint of something very similar to what John was writing. Allah guides to his light whom he wills. Again, remember this was written in a completely different language and sometimes a lot of stuff gets lost in translation. But you could see this very similarly. Allah, God, guides to his light. So it's the inspiration. the light just as God is with let there be light or Jesus as I am the light and then guides to his light whom he wills basically following the will of God and I've talked about the will of God before many times from Paul's writing that the will of God is the same as our will there's no difference when we truly Desire something, something true, something important, we can will it into existence. We can choose to bring it into existence. And if we are perfectly aligned with our hearts and minds, we come from a really good place, from a sacred place. There is no difference between the will that we share and express and God's will because God and us are one and the same thing. So then, light versus darkness. So far, what we've looked at is light is almost the opposite of darkness, isn't it? We usually see that in everyday life, especially when we look at light in the human sense. The light, when we switch on the light in a dark room, it separates from darkness. When we turn the light off, then we're back into darkness. That's the human way of approaching it. And often we see the darkness as something to get away from. There's only few religions who actually embrace darkness, uh, such as Buddhism, who really looks at suffering and pain as not something to run away from, but something to lean into and learn from it and change and, and prosper from it. Uh, in Taoism, in in Confucianism, there's there's all these ideas of a balance between light and dark. You see this here in the yin-yang symbol, which is very common in some of the Chinese and uh, those Eastern philosophies. Taoism uses the yin-yang, Confucianism, and so on. And you see all these attributes, but there's really no separation. You can see in the symbol, we, we, we create the separation, but the symbol itself demonstrates a constant movement. You have all these attributes, positive, negative, male-female, night-day, and so on, which is very common, but you see also that some of these attributes cannot be separated from each other. The idea of mother-father-God. Right? Very popular at Unity Fort Worth. Father, Mother, God. So, pop quiz. Can Father, Mother, God ever be separated? Yes or no? Thank you. It's impossible to separate Father, Mother, God. As much as we may want to leave the Father behind, it will not work. And if we have a quarrel with our mother, we cannot leave her behind either. It's always both. And just as mother and father cannot be separated in spirit, as father, mother, God, as the ultimate perfect harmony of principle that drives us creating in this world, light and darkness cannot be separated either. In other words, we must learn to embrace it both. It doesn't mean that when we have dark thoughts, like anger or frustrations, we want to dwell on it and act on it or anything like that. We don't want to run away from it. We want to acknowledge it and understand this is where I am. This is who and what I am, and I am in acceptance with it, but I have the power to change either. Another way of saying from Jungian, those who follow Uh, Carl Jung, is the darkness is a representative of our shadow. Ever heard of the shadow, right? Where we put, especially as a child, a lot of the things that bother us, we kind of like put away in a bag, the shadow bag, and we hide away, and then throughout our lives, what we do is we see the shadow in other people, and then we get upset about those people because they're reflecting that piece of ourselves that we are not willing to accept. Same idea, right? Father, mother, God, that's our journey. That's our ticket back to the Garden of Eden to embrace both the father and the mother without denying one from the other. There's this idea of mystical darkness. And it's coming from mysticism because the mystics have asked themselves the very question, why are we so involved and find light so important as opposed to darkness? What is it about darkness that can actually help us also in our lives? With the idea, again, to bring the shadow forward and heal what needs to be healed and to embrace the darkness, the suffering, the pain, lean into it, rather than running away from it or well, here's some words that would represent that mystical darkness and you might be familiar with some of those words silence stillness void the uncreated potential peace principle substance out of which everything comes into existence As creators, we must learn that we have access to infinite potential. We have no limitation whatsoever. We can step into the footsteps of that God that's being described in Genesis 1, who speaks the word, let there be light. We have that same power. We may not immediately walk out of here today and create an entirely new universe. It may take us a couple of weeks to learn to do that. In smaller terms, we can walk out of here and find someone who may just need a hug or who just needs to connect for a few minutes. And we can unspokenly, without any words, say and act to let there be light. So how do we apply our light? In times of darkness and I love what Oprah says here I'm by the way I'm not a following of Oprah so to speak but but she really has some really good zingers here here and there that I just love and here she says you have to find what sparks a light in you so that you in your own way can illuminate the world it's another way of saying what Gandhi said you know to, to to be what you like to see in the world. We have to find that spark in us in order for the world to benefit from it. You know, I often think when I'm sitting there and watch the music team, I see that spark of light come alive, right? It's that spark that they're willing to share with us freely without asking for anything. And that's how the music team changes us, don't they? Every time when we come here and receive, we are changed. That's exactly that. And we don't have to be musicians, not all of us. Can you imagine a world where there's all musicians and nothing else? <laughs> that would be terrible, wouldn't it? <laughs> right? So some of us have to, you know, have to be a lawyer and, 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 and be teachers. and you know, So we have all, all the things that we ought to do. Some of us need to be retired and serve and volunteer. And others need to be kids and play and challenge our parents to the brink of insanity. And uh, you know, so it's important for us, though, to find that spark in all of us. Wayne Dyer, a favorite of many, I'm sure, he adds to that a very important component, a component of servitude in community. See the light in others and treat them as if that is all you see. See the light in others and treat them as if that is all you see. That is an incredible, incredible invitation, don't you think? Imagine for a moment you have a, you know, the last argument you had with a friend or with your partner or with your kids or your parents or whatever. Imagine for a moment that you would have done that. Throughout that argument, all you would have seen is the light. And all you would have done is treat them as if you only saw that light. Didn't matter whether your opinion was different from them. Didn't matter whether you disagreed with, you know, how to raise the children or whether you want to buy this house or not, but all you focus on is, I see you. I see the light in you and I refuse to see anything else. If we all did that, how would the world change? Which brings us to UmPA, the Umpa-lumpas of unity. right? So UMPA are our five principles, And we can now make this connection. So the first principle, the, the, the idea of there is only one power and one presence, represented as omnipresence, we now understand that that omnipresence is beyond all creation. It's principle. It's creative power. It's the uncreated. It's the mystical darkness and the light at the same time. Oneness then is the divine light and the mystical darkness that we bring to the table. That's where we get involved in our spirituality and in humanity. And the mind action piece is following our inspiration, our idea, the spark of light. Prayer meditation is how we learn a practice. And finally, action. The fifth principle is to learn to apply. Often we are satisfied with reading a good book and be all over the book and be happy with the book and learn a whole bunch of stuff and take a lot of notes. But then we stop there. Where is the application? We need to learn to apply. We need to learn what we need to learn and then learn to apply it in life so that the world can actually change. So before we do meditation for today, I wanted to just lead us into a few affirmations just to kind of settle in to meditation, but also to summarize what we talked about today. And I hope it's an inspiration for you as much as it is for me to move into this world this year and have a different focus. So I am the light in this world. Let's say this together. I am the light in this world. Together. I see the light in others. I shine my light onto my darkness. And I let others do the same. I am at peace. I am at peace with this world. I am that I am, and so it is. Amen. So remember that as we move into this meditation together, that we all are the light in this world. We are the light of humanity, the light of the physical, the light of being, expressing. We're also the light of the Spirit, the light of God or God-light, the light that is beyond any of the illuminaries, the light beyond darkness. So let us take a deep breath together, deeply breathe in our humanity and allow that breath to move through our body, allow the oxygen to feed our cells. And exhale whatever is no longer needed, exhale what our cells are ready to release to be given back to the world, back to the universe, back to God. So we breathe in the light and exhale the darkness, not to run away from it, but to lean into it. Continue breathing, allowing our physical to move and expand into the spiritual. We tell ourselves, let there be light. We invite ourselves to see the light we already are in this world, and we flick the switch and turn it on. I am the light of this world. Let there be light. So, whatever comes to mind right now, a regret, a worry, a judgment an argument, a discomfort. We allow that to be embraced in that mystical darkness of the void, the silence, the potential, and embrace it to the degree that we understand that the will of God is our will, so that we can choose And we choose to release any negativity, anything that keeps us away from perfect peace and love and compassion. We choose to release and take away the power we give to that so that we can return to the light that we already are. Again our breath guides us, leads us in our exploration, helps us relax and expand, gives us an opportunity to remember. To remember that the way of being, of being at peace, is up to us. And from this moment forward, we tell ourselves that all we see is the light in others. And we refuse to see anything else. We cut through the masks, the disagreements, the difference in opinions. And we give ourselves permission to only see that light. So in gratitude, we remember the reason why we're here today, whether online or in person, there is a reason why you came, a reason why you listened, the reason why you're here to take with you what you learned and what you are willing to embrace. And in that image and in that power, the power of light and love, we say thank you to each other for being part of a community that remembers that we are so much more than we often think we are. And so it is. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.